One other just sidebar of something I found helpful in talking to others about the authority of Scripture and the truthfulness of Scripture. You realize when people say, well, I don't know if the Bible's true, there are a number of different things they may mean by that, and we can help them by dividing out some of those questions. So sometimes when somebody says to you, the Bi- is the Bible true? I don't know if the Bible's true. There are so many different translations. Have you ever heard that? I, I hear that commonly from people who don't know much about the Bible. They're, they're, they're confused by the fact there are these different translations. And so therefore they wonder, is it really true? And then we just simply need to address questions of how translation is possible. Uh, everybody knows this. Everybody acts as if it's true. Multi-billion dollar deals are done every day in translation. Nobody has any real doubt that translation can be done well and accurately. So then you go, okay, well, all right. I, I understand translation can be done, but what's being translated? How do we know that's the same thing that was written down? Okay, now that's a question of transmission. There are going to be four of these T's. So translation... Now, transmission, that's a different question. It's a good question. Um, A very simple resource, though a little dated to use, is F.F. Bruce, the New Testament documents, are they reliable? Uh, Bruce, in that little book, talks about the the testimony of the the keeping of the the copies of the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, He concentrates on the New Testament, especially on the Gospels, but on the manuscripts that we have and how the manuscripts that we have actually are very much what was written down. And because of the number of manuscripts we have available, we can compare them and see what that original text was in a way that you cannot do to the same degree with any other book from antiquity. So not only is the Bible not embarrassed when you get to that question, the Bible shines when you get to that question. So you have that conversation about transmission. A third thing they may mean is, okay, I understand you can translate this accurately and that what's been transmitted is what was actually written down originally. Here's, my, here's what I mean by is the Bible true. I mean, is what was written down, let's say, by Mark, is that actually what happened? Is that actually what Jesus said? So I understand you can translate it accurately, and I believe that what was translated accurately is what you know Mark originally wrote down. So you've convinced me on those points. But number three then, is, is this actually a trustworthy account? So translation, transmission, trustworthy. Is it a, a trustworthy account? Well, that's a good question. And then you get back to a number of the talks we've heard today and yesterday about the historical reliability of the Gospels, telltale signs. So as a preacher, I'm preaching through Luke right now. I always stop and point out little evidences of the historical reliability of the Gospels when I'm in them. There are so many. They're so frequently there. It helps our congregation to point those things out. All right. So let's say that you've got You've got, they understand you can have translation. They think the transmission has been, has been kept well. And, and you've got, okay, it seems trustworthy. Now you're down to the real million-dollar question. Is what has been well translated and accurately transmitted and accurately written down initially, is what Jesus said true? Now that's the question you want to get to. With a taxi cab driver, with a person in your family, with a person who's just making that general objection, I don't know if the Bible's really true, that's the place you want to drive them. You want to lay aside all these other excuses. So you're right there at that question. I understand I have before me the claims of Christ. Are they true? That's just a little sidebar for you to be helpful when you talk to other people about the authority of Scripture. I was very glad for what R.C. said yesterday and Carl Truman said this morning. This is not uh, a new question. It's not a new doctrine, the inerrancy of the Bible. This is a thing that, that's been around a long time. 
And it's a hugely important doctrine for us to get a hold of. I remember bumping into Stephen Hawking when my wife and I lived in England. Uh, he was the location professor of mathematics, uh, a position that he held for 30 years. He's a best-selling author, a celebrated theoretical physicist. Uh, Eddie Redmayne was just uh, won the Oscar for his best acting performance in the movie A Theory of Everything about him. Well, Hawking and I met repeatedly uh, during lunch in my years at Cambridge, maybe five or ten times. Um, well, I say met. I mean, uh, we, we bumped into each other uh, physically as we were trying to sit down at the long tables in the grad pad. You know, just met in that sense. And um, in meeting him, it was strange again and again. We seemed to sit in the same place. But it was strange to reflect on this man that I knew so much about and yet didn't really know at all. I would just have these casual times of just kind of bumping into this person that I knew was considered a, a, a giant. I think that's how some preachers feel about Psalm 119. I think they look at it and it just looks really long. And they know it's great, but they just kind of feel like they're bumping into a giant. And so they get scared and they run back to Psalm 19 or Psalm 1. Which are great psalms. But Psalm 119, I mean, it's the Bible's longest chapter. Well, it can hardly be charted and explored or its depths plumbed in the amount of time that we have tonight. In that sense, I think it is an impossible task. But I hope and pray we can do a little more than just bump into a giant. I want us to think about this psalm. What is God's law? What is it like? What does it do? How should we respond? Let me ask you to turn in your Bible to Psalm 119. As you do, let me just remind you a little bit about the background. We don't know who wrote it. It may be David. Uh, Dick Mayhew, last night at dinner, was suggesting he thinks it's Jeremiah. Uh, I think it's probably, I agree with Dr. Mayhew, I think it's probably somebody a little later than David, though it could be David. It seems to me to be someone in the exile when, when the Torah, the law, had become freshly valued by a people who no longer had the temple available to them. Some have suggested that it was a faithful Hebrews journal about the Word of God in their daily life from the days of their youth through the trials of midlife and older age all collected together at the end. And as you read through the psalm, I think you can see that, though that may be reading into it. It's composed of 1,064 words in Hebrew, arranged in 176 verses, in 22 stanzas, so one stanza for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each letter has, as it were, its opportunity to lead us in praising God for His law. All the letters are used to show that this praise is full and complete, and yet that the entire alphabet can be exhausted and gone through and used up before we come to the end of the glories of God's law. There are eight verses in each stanza, and each of those verses begins with the stanza's signature letter. Now, I don't think we're well set up in our culture today to appreciate this. We live in a culture of informality and spontaneity. We value sincerity as something shown in the immediate and the casual. So to us, that seems real and therefore valuable. And we're just the kind of people marked by our love for ease and convenience who can miss the beauty that there is in art. After all, artfulness, deliberateness, shows thoughtfulness. 
In Psalm 119, we see a beauty of expression itself reflecting something of the beauty of the thing being reflected upon. Even in this chosen style, conforming to a freely chosen form produces beauty, just as our conforming to God's precepts brings a beauty, a rightness, an appropriateness, a blessedness, a happiness in our own lives. Listen now to this prayer. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord. Put your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever. I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings 
and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your words, your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling, like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They've almost made an end of me. On earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. I am yours. 
save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded. But I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. And teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act. For your law has been broken. Therefore I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small. And despised. 
Yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your, res- from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my, adver- my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Princes persecute me without cause. But my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your, right, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Friends, many Christians like William Wilberforce have memorized the psalm and repeat it regularly. Many others recite it in part. Others have taken a single verse to meditate on every morning and go on so twice a year through the whole thing, taking one verse each morning. I pray that God will give us a little bit more than a rushed tour of the Alps in this final session of the day. 
four questions that will help us to understand and profit from this psalm. Number one, what is God's law? What is God's law? Well, I think it's clear. I'll answer this one briefly just to save us some time. I think it's clear here it's more than just the Ten Commandments. This is God's word. It's God's word of promise that he gave to Adam and Eve in the garden, that he gave to Abram to call him from Ur of the Chaldees. God's word came to to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses down the centuries. God's word led his people before and more fundamentally than the temple. It was the Torah that shaped God's people and made them his. This is God's word. The commandments and statutes that are being celebrated in this great psalm have to do with all of God's word. It's what Jesus summarizes in the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, as extraordinary as what we've already been considering is, I think here comes the really good news. This is the second question. What is God's word like? So let's say we see that Psalm 119 is talking about God's word. What is God's word like? Well, friends, we see again and again ringing throughout this psalm that God's word is true. God's word is true. Look there in verse 29. God's ways are the opposite of false ways. Or over in verse 142. Verse 142. The psalmist says, your law is true. More than over in 151. All your commandments are true. Even what we don't know gives us ground to to look to Him, to trust Him. And so to find out that what He speaks in His Word is always and only true. So God's Word here in Psalm 119 is shown to be true. God's Word is also shown to be good. Which means that the truth is good. His rules are, He says again and again in this psalm, righteous. Uh, The promises He makes to us are righteous. There's nothing wrong or questionable about the way He has promised salvation to us by faith. I love that verse 68. You might be able to tell that I liked it when I read it so slowly when He says, You are good and do good. What a wonderful, simple summary of praise to God. You are good and do good. His word is true. His word is good. And now, here's where it gets even better. God's word is not only true and good, but the the psalmist is not worried that this true and good word will change, or will expire, or give out, or need updating, or need some patch sent out from the cloud in heaven. God's Word, he says in verse 52, is from of old. That means it's ancient. It's not a new thing. There is in no sense that God's Word is failing. God's Word will not last any less than forever. Verse 152 says that God's Word has been founded forever. Oh, friends, for you and and me, our, our actions, our actions, our words change is the order of the day we just sang it a little bit earlier time bears all her sons away we can barely think of something which doesn't change but for god well we read there in verse 160 160 every one of your righteous rules endures forever isn't it wonderful to know that god's word is true 
and God's Word is good, and God's Word endures forever. What a wonderful celebration the psalmist leads us into. This is the Word of the one and only God, the eternal, unchanging, ever good, always true God, which, which brings us to notice that God's Word is like this, true and good and eternal, for one reason and one reason only, and that is because of the God whose Word it is. He is like this. God is truthful, and God is good, and God is eternal. Throughout this psalm, the Word of God is identified very closely with God Himself. And you can understand this. His Word, His message is His emissary, His ambassador, a revelation of Himself and His will and His character, His statements about the future in His promises or about the past in His judgments. This is why the psalmist in verse 2, at the very beginning of the psalm, parallels, uh, it, it really puts in parallel keeping of the Lord's testimonies with seeking Him. Keeping the Lord's testimonies with seeking Him. So in Psalm 82, God's promise is understood as bringing God's own comfort to us. Or in verse 137, we read, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Notice they follow Him. God is righteous. God's rules are righteous. They are like He is. They reflect Him. Through the truth of God's commandments, in verse 151, the Lord is near. Now friends, please don't misunderstand what what the psalmist is teaching us here. The Bible is not God. But apart from the Bible, we could not know God as we do. If you want a relationship with God, there is no way for you to know Him as anything other than judge, finally. Apart from this word. This is how God has made himself known. So to attack the word of God is to attack God. And to honor the word of God is to honor God. Brothers, have you stopped to consider and appreciate what the Lord has given us in his word? What a resource it is. It is here for us to understand what is true and good and unchanging. It is here for us by it to come to know God and His will. Friend, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, do you know what it means to know God? You couldn't be in a better room in America right now. Talk to the person next to you, the person who talked you into coming this week. Ask them to explain to you what it means to know God. See if the person who invited you to come would study the Bible with you. There's so much more we could appreciate about what God's Word is like from this great psalm, but we need to move on to our next question. That is, number three, what does God's Word do? So being the Word of the all-powerful God, we shouldn't be surprised to learn that God's Word is active, that it accomplishes things, it does stuff. Or perhaps I should better say, God does stuff with His Word, by means of it, through it. Generally, what God's Word does is to bless. So you look at the way the psalm begins in verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the ways of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart. 
There's a kind of ironic benediction over in verse 135. Make your face shine upon your servant. And how would God do that? Verse 135. And teach me your statutes. How would teaching someone God's statutes, his word, bless them? Well, in many ways. What a good study that would be for you on the airplane on the way back. Just take Psalm 119 and list out on a piece of paper all the ways that the study of God's word is said to bless you. Let me just mention five, all right? Number one, for those who believe the Bible, God's word inspires all. For those who believe the Bible, God's word inspires all. If you look at verse 161, my heart stands in awe of your words. And in the context of that verse, the, the your is emphasized, as opposed to being the fearing the words of the persecuting princes, he says he will fear the word, not of those who threaten him with persecution, but of the Lord. Even when he could be occupied by other things like staying alive, he says in verse 164, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. And in verse 171, my lips will pour forth praise for you teach me your statutes. God's word inspires all and causes us to pray and to praise him. It brings us into relationship with him. That's one blessing. Let me tell you another one, a second one. God's word causes us to grieve over our sin. God's word causes us to grieve over our sin. Look at verse 136. Verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Or again, verse 53. Verse 53. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Friends, studying God's word does not make us morally indifferent. Studying God's word educates our consciences, directing and sharpening them. And causes us to see this world and the people in it more as God does. A third blessing for those in temptation. For those in temptation, God's word helps us to stay pure. Verse 9 has to be one of the best known verses in this long psalm. Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. And then look down a couple of verses. Verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you have any doubt that God's word encourages holiness? Look at verse 101. Here's holiness 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. Remember how when the Lord Jesus met temptation in the days of his flesh, do you remember he quoted the Bible to Satan? He quoted the Bible to Satan. Why would we think that we stand in less need of knowing and using the Bible to help us with temptation than Jesus did? If the Lord Jesus himself used scripture to keep him from temptation, why would we think we could dispense with it? This book is a storehouse 
of what we need to help us very practically as Christians. A fourth blessing, number four, for those here tonight in various kinds of need, study God's Word and you'll find what this psalm says is true. Through this Word, God gives hope to the hopeless. Again and again, the psalmist says something like, I hope in your Word. To the afflicted, the Lord gives comfort. And to those undergoing trials, He gives joy. I love verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Or verse 162. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. So to those going through hard times, he gives peace through his word. Verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So to the young who read the Bible, he gives wisdom and understanding. We read in verse 104, through your precepts, I get understanding. This is why it makes so much sense to conceive of the Bible as a kind of flashlight. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Or down in 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. You realize this is what should be happening right now. As we are reading God's word right now, His Holy Spirit who inspired this is causing light to happen in your mind and heart. You are perceiving realities in a certain way that is more akin to the truth, that is more like what God made things to be, what He knows them to be, and what we in our sin and self-deception often do not see. So as I am unfolding God's Word, as you are unfolding it by paying attention, as, as God is unfolding it ultimately... By giving it to us and giving us this time and this opportunity, light and understanding is coming into your life. He is answering prayers that you may have prayed in humility to have better understanding, better judgment. Look at verse 66. Verse 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. We need to pray this because God's word can be savingly understood only by God's gift. This kind of psalm should never be read to be understood as anything like a call to save ourselves, to to pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps. Remember when Jesus asked his disciples who he was and Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus didn't go, congratulations, I always knew you were the smart one, Peter. No, he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I wonder if some tonight here were even surprised that all of Psalm 119 is really a prayer. Did you know this was just a long prayer? It's full of lots of small prayers to the Lord to teach us his word, to open our eyes. He prays in verse 27, Make me understand the way of your precepts. Or verse 73, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Or back to verse 29, graciously teach me your law. In fact, the psalmist even seems to be aware that his own worldly prophet might sometimes prejudice him against what God teaches in his law. So he prays in verse 36, a humble prayer, I think. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. 
God's word is to be learned only by God's gift. I wonder if you've prayed about your own study of God's word, your reliance on him. I'll tell you what is more important than all the commentaries in your study. It's prayer. It's turning to the Lord and asking him by his spirit who inspired this word to help you to understand this word and understand what needs to be said to his people. Friend, why would you not spend your life getting to know this book and know it better than you do today? I love how he puts it in verse 24. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Are you taking the Bible as your counselor in life? Or have you found a lot of other books that are easier and more to the point of what you're looking for? It's significant that through this psalm, the psalmist both trust God and ask God to help him trust him more. Do not ignore the obvious help God's word is. When I lived in the UK, I worked with college students especially, and I had one friend who was concerned about this one meeting of Christians in this one college at Cambridge. He went over there and he came back after being there at two hours for their meeting that night, very distressed. And I said, you know, I asked, well, what, what's, what's gotten you so worked up? He said, because we were there in that room for two hours with the lights down low, having a prayer meeting and we were standing and people's hands were up and they were crying out oh god speak to us oh god speak to us he said the whole time there were bibles there laying on the seats closed well friends you laugh but have you ever thought of reading the bible out loud in your church were you aghast that i spent a full 15 minutes reading god's word It's been a long day today. Fifteen minutes reading this word that we have a whole conference on to tell us it's the inerrant word of God. Friend, what happens in your services this coming Sunday? What happened last Sunday? If you want to hear the word of God read out loud, do you need to go to a Roman Catholic church? Or do you think there might be some evangelical churches that actually give time to praying and to reading God's word in public? Just questions from one pastor to another pastor. (laughs) I think it is very kind of God to counsel us like he does in his word here. To listen to God means to read his word. Why would we we not listen if he were speaking to us? Friends, he is speaking to us in his word. In fact, the most amazing thing God gives us through his word is life. Verse 50, your promises give me life. Look at the testimony of God's past goodness. There in verse 93, the psalmist says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. My Christian friend, how else did you think you came to be sitting here interested in God's word tonight? Other than by God's own spirit giving you life. He gave you the taste, the delight you have in his word. That's a gift from him to you. It's his gift His word is the means he uses to give us spiritual life. Our local church has as our church motto, faith comes by hearing. That's from Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's the only way someone ever is saved from their sins and reconciled to God. By hearing that great message that the eternal son of God took on flesh and lived a life of perfect trust in all that his heavenly father would say. 
He lived a life of perfect obedience. And then he died a death he did not deserve in the place of all of us who've not deserved God's favor, but we've deserved God's right and good judgment. But he took that death in our place as a substitute for all of us who would turn from our sins and trust in him. And then God raised him from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He accepted the sacrifice of his son, and he calls us all to repent and believe. Friend, if, again, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you should do that now. Before I finished preaching this message, you should pray to God to show you the truth about who the Lord Jesus is and what it means for you to repent and to believe and to trust in him. I remember giving a lecture on the Puritans once at a church in London. And I was talking about the importance of the Word of God and the importance of preaching. And at one point while I was in the middle of it, I mentioned uh, how in churches, in old churches in England, in East Anglia especially, you might see wrought iron uh, sort of rods that are shaped like this out on the side of a pulpit and asking if anybody there knew what they were. And nobody did. Several people had seen them, but they didn't know what they were. I said, well, those were gifts usually of the congregation to the preacher. And they would be given sometime probably in the late 16th, middle or late 16th century. And, uh, and they were hourglass holders. And you could see a little worried look in people's face. And I said, that's because they were giving the minister one or two turns of the hourglass to preach. There were audible gasps in the people there. And one person said, well, what time did that leave for worship? And I heard the whole Protestant Reformation just go down the tubes. I composed myself, unusual, and I said, well, um, you know, I think when you realize that some of the people sitting there may well have remembered the smell of burning human flesh for having the Bible translated into a language that they could read and understand, that they well knew that the chief worship they could offer to God was to hear his word and to respond to it in faith and trust. And if they got to obey that part of God's word that said they would sing, that was a wonderful part of their worship. But they knew their chief act of worship was hearing and obeying God. Friends, is that not what we see in Psalm 119? Which brings me to a fifth blessing for those in trouble. God delivers us. The psalmist knew what it meant to be in trouble. That may have surprised you as I read through it, how troubled the psalmist was. But he knew God delivers If you're in trouble tonight, read through this psalm again before you go to bed. God gives help. He gives strength. He gives protection. He gives salvation. The Lord shows us so much about himself by what he holds out to us in his word, doesn't he? Just a wonderful series of promises. And this is just some of what we see here in Psalm 119 that God's word does. Now, given that this is what God's word is and what it's like, true, good, and eternal, and what it does, number four... Last of four points, how should we respond? And about this, I see five basic responses in this psalm. Number one, first and most obviously, obey. We should obey God's word. That's how the psalm begins in the first stanza. It's repeated again and again throughout the psalm. Why would we think that God would give us life by his word and not call us to obey him? And so the psalmist prays in verse 88... In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. No small part of God's reason for giving us new life is that we would, as he says in Psalm 115, keep the commandments of God. 
We should also love it. Number two, we should love it. The psalmist conveys this in so many ways. The sheer length of this psalm is to show us his love for God's Word and the intricacies of the acrostic. He says there in verse 14, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. And then it's not any surprise then that number three, we should meditate on it. Verse 97 again, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. It looks like in verse 148 that he would even get up early in order to meditate on the Bible. And he would sing it too. Verse 154, your statutes have been my songs. And in verse 172, my tongue will sing of your word. And then number four, we should trust it. Verse 42, I trust in your word. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Who knows all the trials that he had been put through. Physical challenges, being despised, trouble, having enemies, dealing with criminals and immoral people. Just list them all out. Oppression of every kind you can imagine, it seems. These and many other things he mentions in this psalm. I'm sure God's promises were well tried in the psalmist's hands. Have God's promises been well tried in your hands? Do you have reason to know that God's promises are true? Oh, friend, if that's true, trust, trust him. Trust him in his promises. We should obey God's word and love it. We should meditate on it and trust it. We should also, number five, fear the God whose word it is. I couldn't leave this out. Look at verse 120. No, I mean it. Look at verse 120. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. God's Word brings us into a kind of contact with God Himself. And this contact, by His grace, wakes us up spiritually as we begin to understand more of of good and bad and wrong and right, and we begin to understand more of how we've been bad and wrong and how in God there is only what what is good and what is right. And that sense of moral distance that there is between us and God, the God who created us, we begin to see that more. That this is the God who will judge us. And when that first comes into somebody's life, that can be profoundly disorienting. It can cause a confusion before a new clarity comes in accepting it all. And even after we come to hear and believe the gospel, we're left with a true sense of the difference that there is between God and us. Something of His holiness and our unworthiness which makes us regard him and his word with the most profound respect and even with a trembling gratitude as we marvel at his love and mercy toward us. So obey God's word. Love it. Meditate on it. And trust it. And come to fear the God whose word it is. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's kind of where it all starts. And it's probably about where we should stop.
In conclusion, I just want to point out that Psalm 119 is not just talking about the Bible, the written Word of God. Some people in Jesus' day seem to think that. But the way home, the the ending of our exile, the completion of this true exodus, isn't fundamentally through our obeying God's written Word, but through the Word made flesh, perfectly obeying it in our place. It does no dishonor to God's written word to say that it points to something greater than itself. Hebrews 1, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And we read in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. My fellow under-shepherds, it isn't that we don't obey God's Word. We do obey God's Word, genuinely, but imperfectly. And our lives are being genuinely but imperfectly circumscribed by the law of God. And that happening gives evidence of our truly trusting in the one whose life was perfectly circumscribed by the word of God. Whose righteousness he gives to us as a gift. That is the gift of perfect righteousness that this psalm so wonderfully points to again and again. The perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So just to go back to those great first two verses of our psalm, look back there with me for a moment. How the psalm begins. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Now friend, whose way has been more blameless Who's more sought God with their whole heart than the Son of God sought to do His Father's will when here on earth? And who has done it more perfectly? Twice the Father said publicly to the disciples that He was well pleased with His Son. Blessed should such a one be. Our psalm begins by proclaiming. And surely more blessed than anyone who's ever lived should be the life of the only one who has ever perfectly and blamelessly followed the way of his heavenly Father and sought him with his whole heart. Blessed should be his way, says verses 1 and 2 of our psalm. But that's not what happened to Jesus. No, in fact, his death by crucifixion is what God's word, his law, calls cursed. What an irony that the only one who perfectly kept the law was killed and was killed wrongly as a law breaker. But Jesus taught that his death was predicted again and again in the Old Testament and it was foreshadowed. After he rose from the dead, he told his disciples, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Hmm. Was there anything written of this in Psalm 119? When I first read this psalm this evening out loud, I wondered, did you notice any of the foreshadowings that were there? Of one who called himself the servant of the Lord? Who even as a boy said he must be about his father's business? Verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged. For I keep your precepts. Of the one who wept over Jerusalem's rejection. Verse 136. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Of indignation at sin in the temple courts. In verse 53. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Or verse 110. The wicked have laid a snare for me. Verse 95. Lying in wait to destroy me. Or verse 157. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Do you hear echoes of Gethsemane in verse 143? Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Of suffering for righteousness' sake. Verse 69, being smeared with lies. Verse 61, being ensnared by the cords of the wicked. Friends, look again at verse 83. For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They've almost made an end of me on earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. Then over to verse 121. Verse 121. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love. Friend, do you hear echoes of Herod and Pontius Pilate joining together to persecute him? In verse 161, princes persecute me without cause knowing that it was somehow in faithfulness that the Lord had afflicted him. Verse 75. Though he had been perfectly faithful, the one who performed the Lord's will forever to the very end, verse 112, as he cried out on the cross, it is finished. One who was forsaken utterly that we might not be. Well, look at verse 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord. From where could verse 149 be prayed more truly? Verse 149. 
hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, according to your justice, give me life. From where could that be prayed more truly than from the tomb of Christ? Look again at verse 153. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. And of course the Lord did give him life. And through the sacrifice and resurrection of the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, He gave all of us life who would come to trust in Him. And so we are, as this psalm begins, blessed as we are in Christ who was both cursed and blessed for us and in our place. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we stand in awe of Your goodness. That You would love us as You have in Christ. That You would reveal Yourself so truly and completely to us. That You would call us to know Yourself by Your grace and mercy. O Lord, draw us to Yourself by your Spirit, through your Word. Bless our congregations that we would minister in trusting you and your Word, that people would know that you are a reliable and utterly trustworthy God, that every word you speak is true. Lord, give us lives that reflect that so that others could see. Give us ministries of teaching that will make that clear. We love you. We delight in you and your law. We thank you through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.